Good morning, Stuart. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Funny, you just you just said about um, the wine chai and you just discovered it. Like, as you sort of emailed me through the week, I went, oh, what's this wine chai? So I've been listening to them flat out, like on the little drive down here to the, to the shaker. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you to sleep, mate. Is that what's going on there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I nearly had a road crash, but no, it's Look, great. It's really I think we're now, we're beginning to put the, uh, the wine show on, on the map for all Australians now. So, um, you know, it, it is Melbourne-based community. And it's, uh, I think, you know, predominantly the audience are Victorians and South Australians. So then all of a sudden, you know, we're getting more New South Wales people. And because I'm, I'm, you know, live from Gold Coast. So I like to do a focus on the, on the Granite Belt and, uh, and the Queensland wine regions as well. So um, we're beginning to spread the word, which is, which is great. And so it's good to know that down in Tasmania, we'll be doing the same thing. But yeah, the podcasts yeah, are great. <laughs> so uh, we did mention you're down at Benelong Beach, a very beautiful part of the world. And uh, so, so what's your, you know, what's your weekend looking like? Yeah, it's it's about getting down to the shack and with the family. So we've got a couple of our, you know, the relatives are all down here, and uh, yeah, we just a lot of barbecues and a lot of uh, beach action. So nice. Yeah, it should be should be a nice little weekend. So you're a Tassie born and bred guy. So not not that surprising you end up in wine as it's one of the most beautiful uh, things that, that that gorgeous little owl produces. But can you tell us your story about how you did get into wine? Yeah, everyone's got a bit of a strange story, don't they? Um, mm. Yeah, I grew up in Burnie, which is definitely not a wine country. It's um, sort of a bit of an industrial town, which is sort of turning into a tourism town now. And I actually went to uni and studied geology. So I did rocks and saw sort of surface geology, which is geomorphology. And did a degree in that, and uh, yeah, I don't know how it really transitioned. I, I started doing some soil work for Stefano Lubiana down there in Hobart, and um, yeah, and he sort of they sort of asked me to do a bit of vineyard work, and that sort of transitioned into yeah, doing a bit of work in the winery, and then it um, catching the sort of wine bug, I guess. So I went and travelled around Europe, and you know, went to a lot of vineyards, a lot of wineries, and then yeah, by the time I came back to Australia, I decided that's what I wanted to do, so I went to. Curtin in Western Australia to do a you know, double degree in viticulture technology and agribusiness as well, just to throw in an extra few years to much the disgruntlement of my then partner, now wife. Yeah. So, so basically you were invited into this industry. That doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a good little opportunity because I was just really floating down there. To, you know, I just finished my degree and didn't really want to move to Western Australia or wherever to work in mines. And I mean, there's a big difference between you know, the settings of where mines are compared to the settings where vineyards are. So it's a pretty attractive option to stay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you have worked with some big names. I mean, uh, well, Horton, yeah. one of the, the most famous, Joseph Cromey, beautiful yeah. wines. Um, yeah. you, you've worked with a few. Yeah, Jeremy was good to work with there. I was there for seven years as winemaker and he was my chief. Um, yeah, he was great to learn off. Um, had a lot of things to learn there. And um, yeah, before that, there was Stella Bella with Stu Pym and Janice um, and... Yeah, a few others along the way, and yeah, you know, a few European vintages and North American vintages thrown in there. But um, yeah, now it's um, you know back to Bay of Files, which is great because I did a vintage there back in 2010. So now I'm working with Penny and Ed Carr, obviously, and um, yeah, away we go. And for the listeners, um, Stuart's actually representing with his Aris hat on, you know, looking good there, mate. I am. Um, so yeah. I'd actually like to ask you a little bit about your time in Oregon, briefly. You know, which part of the region were you in? Do you see any kind of similarity between some of the Australian Pinot Noirs in particular uh, to, to what you find in Oregon? Um, back, back when I was there in 2010, um, there weren't a lot of similarities. I mean, where I was in the, so I was in the Willamette Valley, I was at Elk Cove. Yep. 
Um, it's, it's a good little one. They make a lot of really good peanuts. Yeah, they should. Yeah. Um, but but back then they were still. I've been, I've been tasting a lot of the um, Oregon wines lately, and I think they are sort of. There's a lot of winery makers over there who are now scaling it back a bit. Back then, they're still. There's a lot of you know they're a bit rougher style. Than yeah, overcropping, maybe okay, picking a bit late. A bit more. Yeah, and they um they definitely pick a little bit later, and they but that's their market as well. Um, yeah. But they, their fruit quality was exceptional. They put a lot of inputs into their vineyards, you know, um, yeah. and in their winery they got they got money to burn over there. Absolutely. Um, so they can really really make some good quality wines. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of Australians over there. As well. Well, I know Dredgy's so, over so there, there a fair bit, isn't he? he? Pops up a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he's often up and back. Um, yeah. I think last year, obviously, he got couldn't go, but. Um, yeah, no, he's had a good run. No, so, absolutely. Yeah, and, and there is a connection there. And those wines that he was making, and he made a brilliant gamay from Willamette as well. Uh, you know, we were selling them in, in Dan, so it's not like they're that hard to get. So it was it was absolutely lovely to see those wines. Uh, Evening Land is another winery over there that I, I really rate highly, but they're really hard to get in Australia. So I'd like to make a bit of a push. You know, we should buy Australian first, of course, but it's good to try wines from other places. I'll hand over to Jill. No, no, no. Actually, um, I think what Stuart just said before, it's a, it's a different market over there. Yep. And they do, their expectation of a wine is very different. It needs, it's got to be big, bold, punch you in the face, which I actually do love that style. I think it certainly has a, has its, has its place, but um, anything less than that, they just don't quite think is this, is the right standard. Now, of course, that is changing and we are seeing that change globally, but, um, but it is still very much there. But actually, Richard, to your point, yep. we don't, we don't get a lot of their wines over here. And I'm disappointed by that because I love a Californian uh, Pinot and Chardonnay. Yeah. You know, you can only pick up a Kendall Jackson. Well, yeah. Richard would be able to tell you exactly which ones you can get because I, I go to dance to get them. But it's not a wide range. Uh, so why is that? Yeah. Well, I think part of it for me is the fact that we think that Americans only want to drink big Australian wines. And then the converse of that is we think that they only want to drink big American wine. So it's kind of this, I think we're shooting ourselves a little bit in the foot there, whereas I think that yeah, the, mo- the modern wine drinker, and Stuart, you know all about this because you've been all around the world, but I'm not saying the Europeans do anything better, but all everything should be in balance to me. So if you're growing good grapes and you're more of a wine grower than a winemaker, I think that modern kind of idea is really starting to filter through in places. Um, you know, it's getting down into places like Russian River in California, but Oregon, I think, is leading the way. Um, what do you think, Stuart, do you reckon we should be drinking more balanced wines overall? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we we try and get we do a lot of you know, benchmarking, obviously, yeah. and we try and get Oregon's in all the time. Um, but yeah, they are hard to get. We've got a little bottle shop down here called the Pinot Shop, which is great. Oh, that is a good shop. But yeah, it is. Um, but it, other than that, it's, it is hard. They are hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was, was like when I was in uh, living in Sweden. You know, one of the great places to go to get American wines was this um, hotel in Gothenburg, and they had six thousand different American wines, like from your top, oh, your screaming eagles, all the way through to whatever's. Uh, because someone was just like, you know what, I'm going to be the first one to do this. So let's throw a little, throw the gauntlet down to all you people out there in Australia. Be the first one to, to say, let's actually import some real. Oh, I know there are a couple of good wines. Winehouse, Melbourne Winehouse in Melbourne actually imports some pretty good American stuff. I think we, mm. <laughs> I'll put my hand up. I think maybe Uncle Dan's could do slightly better with that. So sheds, if there you're listening. That's what we yeah. wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the dredge stuff. Go, but, yeah, yeah. Well, we got the, the dredgy stuff. So that's the Dr. Edge wines for those of you who don't know Peter yeah. Dredge's from Meadowbank um, from t- down there. Another great little winery down in Tasmania. But mm. um, yeah, Eddie, St- Eddie Stone Point, I mean, this is one of the 
you're pretty boutique, really, aren't you? In the end, Stuart, compared to some of the other stable mates in your in your in your yeah, clubhouse. I think people are bigger than I think people think we're bigger than what we are. We yeah, um, yeah we only do. We don't do a lot of tons at all. Um, you know that Eddie P knows uh, about. You know, maxes out at around two and a half thousand cases. Like in, <laughs> which yeah, is we don't we don't small. Yeah, which is not much really. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, yeah, it's more just a yeah. It, yeah, you know, it ticks along every year and does its job and sells out and yeah. Oh, it doesn't just do its job, Stuart. You're being awfully humble there. For first of all, I mean, I I drink that uh, that Pinot Noir often. I love your Riesling as well very much. Um, but uh, the Tasmanian Wine Show results just came out and you you cleaned up beautifully. You got the uh, the uh, the Pinot Noir. So you got the champion wine of the show and the best Pinot Noir and the top gold. Uh, for mm. the twenty uh, for the twenty twenty and the, the twenty nineteen also got a gold. You just it, you just keep reaping it up, and it's such an affordable wine. So you know we, we've been really focusing on Pinot Noirs in this um in this interview, but that's an outstanding Aussie Pinot Noir to drink. It's got depth, it's got guts to it, but it's still fine. And I feel like there's a beautiful balance between new and old world style, which, as Richo was just saying, you know, it seems like you know the, the Aussies to the Australians go on. Oh, you want it too big and you want it too light. The Europeans do nail, they still produce both. They produce new and old well because they both have their spot and you seem to nail it with yours. So tell us, tell us about, about your Pinots and tell us about how you make it. What's the secret? Yeah, I mean, the, um, well, yeah, the, the secret's interesting. <laughs> well, that's it, not it goes, coming out. <laughs> it, goes, um, it goes really well in wine shows because it's, it's always had a lovely shake to it. So, uh, and the Edison's and the Bay of Fires over the years because they flare right out the back and they have that signature peacock tail that everyone sort of looks for in Pinot Noirs. But, um, yeah, and they also go quite well in wine shows because we, we do have a bit of – keep a little bit of reduction in our wines and it's sort of like a signature style almost. And it's only very light, but, um, you know, it jumps out jumps out in a, when you've got it side by side with other Pinots and, and then it opens up as the as you sort of really start looking at it. So um, – and that's mainly done through – you know, a bit of barrel ferment. Uh, the primary, the primary ferment finishing in barrel, you get a little bit of that primary reduction. Remember, um, Paul actually would always say, yeah, uh, back in the day when he was our um, sort of chief global winemaker, he'd always say, if, the, if that primary, that reduction's coming from your primary ferment, um, that's great. Yeah, you can work with that. But if it's coming from Malo, that's a big no-no, and you've got to, you know, work as hard as you can to get rid of it. But um, and it's, you know, that wine's probably not going to go anywhere. Stuart, so, just um, for, for yeah. the for the people listening who aren't as wine savvy, can you just explain a little bit what you mean by reduction in a Pinot Noir? Just just yeah. give us a layman's kind yeah. of explanation of it. Yeah, so it's it's sulfides basically. So um, you know, when wine when you stress or for any reason, you know, you basically that produce a sulfide, um, which is like um, yeah, it smells like cap gun or you know, um, can can go into different realms, can go into some more sort of rubbery and. And all, you know, bad smelling. Yeah, there's some good well. ones and um, some bad ones. There are, there are, and as long as they're light and interesting, they, they, you know, love, you know, your Chablis as well. As long as they're light and interesting, you know, you get some really good characters, and it adds another low, level of complexity to your wines. Um, but you know, you you can manage them. You can you know, get oxygen in there, and you can yep. you know, get them to blow off and make them. As long as they're light and nimble, they're they're in. So, and and so I yeah. think the, a good way to explain it for some people is like that. That can be. Some of the funk in a Pinot Noir can come from the reduction. Some can come from whole yeah. bunch and that sort of thing as well. But That's right. It's like sometimes when you open a Chardonnay from Beechworth and it's so it's so funky and full on, like yeah. you know. And some of that will blow off with a bit of decanting, obviously. But th- so this is something that you like as a style. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, we do. And the Bay of Fire is probably more so. But the Edison, it all often pops up in Edison, and um, 
and it, it definitely is a house style. I mean, they, these ones are, yeah, these ones are like you know, multi-regional as well. So that's always been our other signature. And we we blend from right across Tasmania. Um, we don't do the sort of the single vineyard thing, which is great and has you know, merit. And it's really interesting to see that single vineyard wines. But we've always blended from the main regions of Tasmania. Yeah, and just, just helped by just quickly, uh, what what do you, you tell us a little bit about your Pinot Gris as well? Because I reckon that's the I reckon that's the the money shot. It's that's a that's really the, really that's the wine. They are good, and we do a lot of barrel ferments there. So we've um, we use a lot of punchins. Um, about a third of it is barrel fermented. So we like to get that you know big texture on it. Um, yeah, and get that real green. It's it's a true. It's it's like a. It's definitely more green than it is Grigio. Yeah, absolutely. And if people don't know what that means, yeah. think about Steve and Mark War. They're twins. Steve War's <laughs> definitely Grigio. Mark War's Pinot Gris. I don't have any better analysis that's not cricket, so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Stuart, I was going to ask you, as you are wearing the, the Aris hat, and of course, mm-hmm. um, Eddiston Point and Bay of Fires and Aris all come under the, the one umbrella. You're working with some pretty sensational um, winemakers there, Penny Jones and, yeah. of course, Ed Carr, who we've had on the uh, on the show a few times. Um, I, I, do you work closely with them? Yeah, I do. Um, so Ed's down here a lot. Um, so he obviously he was the one that helped plant, you know, half of Tasmania really, and got a lot of those sort of sheep growers and yeah, potato farmers to convert and put in vineyards. So yeah, he's down here a lot. Um, comes to the winery and uh, during vintage every now and then as well, and sort of just keeps a track on how things are going. Um, but, you know, the, by that stage, you know, we we know what we're doing. We're clicking into auto mode there. We know know what we're doing, and so and we've got such good fruit resources that it's it's hard to make. It's hard to make bad wines out of a lot of these yeah. fruits. Oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's nice to have the materials. You've got to be trying to make bad wines. <laughs> so I've got a question. What are you going to be drinking on Australia Day? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've been, well, <laughs> depends who's around. I bought a few wines down with me. Um, I've I'm, I'm been drinking mainly Chardonnays at, a lot, at, the, at the moment, perfect for summer. So um, I have been into uh, the Brooklyn Valley Reserve. I've got uh, that going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I've brought down a couple of Jock Mans as well, which is uh, nice. I've got, I've got a few both in my cellar. That's that's very nice. Ah, good. Yeah. So that's uh, that's probably going to take up a lot of it. And um, and I've got a, an IW sneaky IWT in the back of the cupboard as well. So one of the older ones. Yeah. So that that will keep me going for a while. Yeah, that will keep you going for a while. Well, look, I do hope you have a sensational um, uh, weekend and then Australia Day with your family. You know, you've got your kids down there. You're on the beach. You're going to have a beautiful time. Enjoy that, Jack Man. Uh, enjoy those Brooklyn Valley estates. They are gorgeous. And uh, it's been wonderful to have a chat with you. I'm so glad that we now have introduced you to the wine show. You've now found your favourite podcast, yeah, that's right. Stuart. <laughs> that's right. I've got, lot, I've got a lot of back issues to catch up on. So lots, of more, lots more driving, hopefully. <laughs> well, look, thanks so much, mate. We're going to let you get back to your holiday. And we are going to take a short break.